Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, if you haven't yet subscribed to Room for Two, this is your personal invitation to do so. Listening to Room for Two will help you see how to take the concepts I talk about in podcast episodes like this and in my online courses and apply them to your own life and relationships. Listening to other couples work with me will help you see that you are not alone in your struggles and will show you what you can do to create change. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about subscribing. Our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife this week was just too good to keep to ourselves. She explains what red flags you should watch out for in a partner. We talk about why a marriage that seems unequal can actually be at its healthiest. And later on, she dives into why feeling discomfort in your relationship can actually be the key to having the love that you really want. I hope you'll stick around. We sort of cringe at a boundary and we think, well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm going to love everyone as much as I can, uh, you know, right. as, as if that's the, the, the goal. Except it comes at the expense of your own self-care right. and self-love. That's um, right. You know, for those who are maybe com- contemplating this idea, whether they're single and they're looking for a partner or whether they are married and they're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, but maybe does it? <laughs> what are some um, of the red flags that you see in relationships that really merit a slowing down in a consideration of this whole process? Yeah. Well, I think anybody that is a good idea to really partner with, they're not going to make you struggle to hold your dignity in that relationship, right? I've worked with some people where their partners just mind twists a lot and meaning twists a lot and, and doesn't respect what she wants in this case, one example in my mind, that she would say that I'm uncomfortable with this or I don't like this or I don't feel. And he would always basically, you know, make fun of her, humiliate, you know, twist the meaning. And so she was constantly struggling to kind of get him to pick up her dignity and to hold it. And he just wouldn't. Now, of course, her challenge, the area to work with her was that she would tend to not believe she deserved better than that. You know, she'd grown up being treated like that somewhat in her childhood. And so then it felt normal in a way to have to fight for your dignity in your partner's eyes. But that seldom goes well, right? Because if if you can't trust your partner to have your interests in his or her heart and take their partnership with you seriously enough to not take advantage of it or to undermine your well-being. It's, it's not a safe person to join your life with. and It just isn't. Um, I think, you know, this is just a secondary idea to that. It's very similar. But, you know, when couples struggle in, in, with meanings, that is that they're in these long battles over what something actually means, usually you don't have two participants who are playing fair. So somebody is twisting the meanings, somebody is screwing with the insecurity of the other person, 
and keeping a kind of struggle alive that, again, also doesn't go well. So when a partnership is going to be healthy for you, there's a basic honesty and a basic decency. It doesn't mean you don't sometimes misunderstand each other or you don't sometimes not see eye to eye, of course. That happens a lot. But there's something honest in it and there's something fair in it. You're, you, you don't just let go of your perspective, but you are willing to understand your spouse's perspective and to understand why and how they see it differently. And there's a desire to build a bridge across those perspectives. So I don't mean to say this is all just, you know, hunky-dory easy, because sometimes these are pushing on really core issues. But there's a fairness in it. There's a decency in it. And it doesn't leave you burdened and feeling alone and feeling like you have to go to friends or family to get the support you need because you can't find it in the partnership. Those are, those are warning signs. Are there a lot of, or any specific or particular examples of issues that you see come up from time to time? Or time and time again, I should say. I was just working with a couple today and, and um, there had been kind of a pattern between them where he was a little bit heroic and she was a little bit dependent. And they're a great couple and, you know, they had a lot of strengths but this would kind of undermine some of his desire and he would feel kind of like he had to be often in this protective caretaking position, which she liked a lot, but was taking too much actually from that position. And one of the things that they were talking about today was that as he's watched her kind of grow in her own autonomy, Now, not like she's leaving the marriage or something, but she's just taking on more of her own aspirations, her own goals, going and doing things with friends. And, you know, he says it's like, it's desirable, it's attractive. And it makes me feel more like we're really partners, not like we're in a kind of caretaking dynamic, but that there's this energy of real equality and real partnership because what he was trying to articulate was this balance between belonging and belonging to your to each other and belonging to your own life. That's beautiful. Mm. Wow. And you do mm. love to hear those success stories too. Of, like yeah. a lot of these yeah. things of, of, you know, my perspective in talking about self-care so much and the different aspects of it is coming from a place that this is not this is the foundation for everything for all of your relationships right yeah. your, and and your yes. work and everything that you do and to have a good life it has to start with the things that you have control over which are your own choices yes. and, and and attitudes yes. and so i love to hear when that like works out really well <laughs> for you know strengthening yeah. someone's you know self care or autonomy and and relationship actually nurtures that relationship Yeah, absolutely. Because really strong partnerships, they really aren't threatened by that. In fact, they get stronger with it. So they aren't threatened by a spouse who belongs to herself or himself. Now, what that means is you, if you're really in a strong relationship, you don't do things that undermine the marriage. So that is to say, belonging to yourself doesn't mean doing things that compromise your responsibility to the people you love. So, because if you hurt the people you love, uh, 
because there's something you desire, well, ultimately that also hurts you because we are always embedded in these relationships. So we can't be fair to ourselves and compromise those we love. And similarly, we can't be fair to those we love and compromise ourselves because ultimately we will undermine our relationships if we don't make room for our own growth and our own happiness in a marriage. So, you know, there is this balance that we're always trying to work through, but honestly and earnestly figuring it out is a, is a valuable endeavor. And there's also times and seasons where, you know, sometimes women are home and they're more in that caretaking, sacrificing position. But then there's a season when they're able to move into more of their own development, their own aspirations and so on. And for their partner to move into different, uh, into a different role as well, often that's, that's often a pattern that I see in the couples I work with. Yeah, I appreciate you saying this is not just a hedonistic, you follow your own bliss and everybody just has to fall in line. It's more nuanced than that. You would never, if you were emotionally intelligent and in a strong marriage, do anything to hurt the other person. There is this like basic, uh, my uh, late husband and I used to call it like, I'm not trying, like I will hurt your feelings, but not on purpose. Uh, You know, that's my promise to you. Yes, we will hurt each other, but never intentionally. So being able to, but that giving that other person a benefit of the doubt is an earned part of the relationship. Yes, it is. It's absolutely earned. That's right. You watch that your partner cares and you watch that they will make sacrifices for your benefit or you watch that as they better understand, oh, you know, I'm taking too much or I'm not being fair. You watch them do differently. And similarly, you know, that you yourself look at, okay, wait, I'm maybe not being fair here. This isn't, I'm not being kind. How can I be better about this? And you earn that trust by by being people that are, truly friends, capable of real friendship and capable of partnering. Mm -hmm. And there's such a benefit to that. You know, when I was in in a very caretaker role, you know, as my husband has this terminal disease near the end of his life, uh, you know, there was still this just, there wasn't a resentment. And and I'll tell you Mm -hmm. why. It was because he had proven to me over decades of, you know, that he didn't, you know, want this or choose this. And we had gone through different seasons of when we did it well or when we didn't do it very well, you know, and and it it had came to, oh, yes, this is, uh, you know, an absolute basic need that you need. And yes, it doesn't look, quote unquote, equal (laughs) to the outside world. But he had earned that by the way that he had treated me, our whole marriage. And I I wish other people kind of had known like just such the benefits of that when crises come because it could have been a horrible or even a more horrible <laughs> situation yes, yes. had I had right. years of built-up resentment and things like that. It, it, oh, it, and yeah, and, and I'm so glad that, so, you know, we had come to a good yeah. place. Yeah. And, and then you were really in a position to freely give it. I don't mean to say that it was easy, but that you really did know he would he's not a man that takes advantage of me and he and he would have has done no choice for me and he would do the same for me and so i choose it and i choose to give to him in this way and yeah oh, it's it really does beautiful feel a little actually. bit more empowering um i did want to ask you about a specific too that i think a lot of people struggle with um i certainly have over the years and that's the sort of allocation of time and how you negotiate yeah. time in a relationship um, in, in a healthy mm-hmm. relationship. 
What does that look yeah. like to you? Yeah, it, it's a great question because it's really like probably our most precious asset actually is time and how we use our time. And, um, you know, I have worked with plenty of couples, especially where there's a woman who's full-time at home and she has often in that early stage, like no time. That is to say, like she is, you know, night and day. On and call 24-7. <laughs> right? And I would see like some of these partnerships I was working with where the husband would come home and be like, well, I'm exhausted. And so I should sleep through the night. And, and, and I don't mean to say that I know how everybody should negotiate this, but that there was a kind of entitlement sometimes in this that, that the man was doing the more important work. And like, I don't care. You could absolutely love what you're doing, but to do it 24-7 and never have any reliable breaks, it's hard to keep enjoying it. You know? right. Right. <laughs> so this is not about not enjoying your role. It's that there's never actually like some kind of a reliable place in which you can belong to yourself again for a few moments. And so I think this is something that couples really have to think through well. And I don't mean that everything has to be equal, equal all the time and husbands must always get up in the middle of the night at the same amount. I don't mean like that. I, but I do think thinking kindly and carefully about are we being partners and friends in this and what is reasonable and fair given that we are handling different kinds of responsibilities? How, you know, how costly is it to one to be up in the middle of the night versus the other? But can we really think about time as a meaningful asset and make sacrifices so that one is not using or taking advantage of the other, right? And, you know, I've seen it go in the opposite direction as well, where, you know, I had a couple where I think she actually envied all of her husband's success and his involvement in many important things. And she kind of hadn't developed herself. And so then she'd get very demanding around equalness when he would come home, kind of as a way of proving to herself and him that they were equals, but it was done out of more of a place of emptiness in her than really creating something collaborative and fair. So I'm, I'm not giving like, always do this and never do that answers, but... Because life's more not nuanced than that. Nice, more nuanced, exactly. But thinking about if we're going to be a happy partnership, we need to make sure that one doesn't take advantage of the other. And so we need to th make sure we're being clean with ourselves and with each other around this. Um, and, you know, really making sure this is sustainable, um, how we've arranged this between us. So, and, and see that, no matter how you negotiate it, that feeling that your partners and that you value what each other is doing that will pull you through. I mean, that'll pull you through pretty hard times. And even when the kids are gone, keep a sense of, you know, we're friends ultimately and we respect each other ultimately, um, even as those different roles and endeavors shift. Yeah, because they do. I mean, again, relationships that are alive and growing and they're always going to shift and change. And, and you know, it's there. a lot has been said, I think, 
in social media or in just in our social conversations about how you can predict right longevity of marriages mm-hmm. or how do you know and mm-hmm. with the statistics and 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 how can you set yourself up for success you know before you enter in this or or can can it be saved or not and and so it's interesting to to hear from you such great um you know focus of being friends and and mm-hmm. looking out for the other if you stand up and make sacrifices for the best in your partner, you won't undermine the best in you. If you are trying to make sacrifices to keep your partner from leaving or keep them liking you or trying to earn a self through them, but going against something you believe is good or fair or right, you will ultimately undermine yourself and the partnership. Right. So, you know, for this is just one example. Let's say you find out that your partner is capable of lying to you and you find out that they have actually been keeping critical information from you about who they are or what their choices are. Well, you know, a lot of times people can want so much to restore a sense of trust or to not be the questioning, doubting spouse that they kind of will tell themselves, well, I don't want to be annoying because then he or she may really leave or he or she may like never want to stay in the marriage or whatever. So I'll just stop asking questions or I'll just kind of collude in a picture of them being more honest or fair or reasonable than they are. And so in that sense, trying to kind of earn a self or earn approval or keep the marriage intact, but at the expense of what is true. And I think that just never ends up ultimately making couples stronger. In in good marriages, there's always two elements, truth and love, and they coexist at all times. You talk honestly about what is, you care for yourself and the other person you have a responsibility to both yourself and your partner. Sometimes we talk in the frame of serve your partner, serve each other, you know, and I understand that language, but I don't think it's quite the right, it's not the best frame. What I really think it is, is hold out for the best in both of you. Make room for your well-being and your partner's well-being, that you hold a responsibility to both. Those are the happiest marriages. So you don't have the idea, well, I'll just throw my interests away and hope that my spouse picks it up for me, okay? Because they're supposed to take care of my needs. It's not that. So so it's instead of a, a sense of we both have a responsibility to the best in both of us. When your partner is stand, saying, I'm unhappy with this, or I wish our sexual relationship were better, or I feel that I want to go back to school and I don't know if you're able or willing to to make the sacrifice that that would require, right? So sometimes, you know, you have to say, okay, well, I don't want that to be the right answer. I don't want to make those sacrifices or I don't want to look at my sexuality or something like that. But that a part of you knows (laughs) that maybe you don't want to admit that there's something in there that is calling for something stronger in you or asking for you to sacrifice in a way that is important for the thriving of your partner or the thriving of the relationship. Now, it can be easy to start defending and talking about all the things that they don't give or do to get away from your conscience. 
But the happiest marriages, you don't do that. You, you go with what your conscience tells you and you pull for the best in yourself for the sake of that marital friendship. And so it's, it's a balance, but it's such an important one to be questioning and looking at within, within ourselves. Well, it's a real expansion of service because you're not just saying, you know, how can I serve the other person or how can they serve me as if it's just transactional or a tennis game going back and forth. But it's really yes. a reframing of, yes. of, yeah, the best in me, the best in you. This is where we play. This yes. is the playground. So anything can go within this playground. And yeah. as long as we That's have right. this, of the of the best of, of both of us. And I mean, isn't that the romantic ideal? Isn't this what all the poets yeah. wrote about? <laughs> you know, and yeah. all the best of intentions are when, yeah. you know, I think it is what we all truly desire. And it's it's interesting that, you know, sometimes we can fall into what we think will bring that, and it might not be true, or what we've seen yeah. in our, you know, in our own parents or with our own family and friends and kind of mirroring that, but but really basing it on principles that are tried and true and just kind of universal like yeah. that is, it, it takes a focus. Yes, it does. And I think this is why marriage, in my view, really drives our development. And I don't mean just marriage. I mean, any meaningful relationship, parent-child, family, friends, any relationship is going to push us to look at who we are and to sort out, am I being unfair to myself or am I being unfair to my friend? Am I need to stand up for this? Or am I being too unyielding and unbending? And these kinds of questions are what drive us in our capacity to love. You know, the Christian ideal of loving God, other, and self is really, it's like all, they're all linked. You can't get away from any of them because they all matter. And so you can't really love God without accepting yourself. I know people might find that a little bit hard to believe, but like part of accepting and knowing God is accepting yourself as a beloved being, as worthy. And that takes tremendous courage sometimes to see and accept ourselves that way, but also to see and accept another as also worthy, as beloved, as someone that you also have a responsibility to as you do to yourself. That is a way of honoring God. So, you know, in our relationships is where we're being pushed on these questions and, you know, where we get in trouble is when we treat it like a battlefield. You know, now it's my turn and you've got to respect my boundaries and, you know, or, you know, we just collapse into the enemy, so to speak, and we just like do what they want, right? That's well, also not, I don't care. Not exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That doesn't work. That doesn't work either. And it actually undermines the, the sustainability of the marriage and, also what children observe in that kind of dynamic. And so, yeah, like learning to love is finding the courage to care about another, but also to truly care about ourselves as flawed as we are, as much as we know our own fallibility, to actually see ourselves as God sees us, to value ourselves flawed as we are as being worthy of respect as being worthy of our development, as being worthy of being able to develop our gifts, but also worthy of stretching ourselves and caring for others, even when it's uncomfortable or asks more of us. So, yeah. 
Oh, very well said. I love the way that you frame that, that each one enhances the other, that it isn't a battlefield. Um, Do you Mm -hmm. ever worry about comparison with other relationships? Do you see that as being an increasingly hard problem for for relationships? Yeah. Increasing, I don't know, but probably. I, I think, first of all, people are often comparing their inside with the outside of other people. And we're often good in our social environments of portraying a polished outside, not necessarily the true inside. And social media, of course, makes this worse. And sometimes our idealism that's being portrayed in movies and so on is not showing growing relationships, relationships that are honest and struggle and hurt sometimes and where you can't get the validation you want from your partner and you're upset and that we don't have the normalcy of that. I do live retreats a lot of times and the thing that I think is so powerful about these events is that very quickly, everybody kind of comes in, these couples often come in sort of nervous and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. what <laughs> they're is uncertain about the fact that yeah. they're there, but who are they going to see there? Are they gonna... yeah. And suddenly they realize, you know what, we're just like everybody else. We're just in the thick of this, of figuring out how to be better partners, better friends, better lovers. And so the normalizing of that process is extremely helpful. Like, so not only are they learning from other people's, ex- you know, examples and me interacting with them, but they're they're getting this normalization that's extremely helpful. I know for me that I'm when I'm first year of marriage and I was like, oh man, we're like fighting about things and this isn't going well. And I, I was like, this is like the shame of the century. Like, I don't know. I had this feeling like everybody else is probably just like blissfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's something defective about us. And how unhelpful of an idea that was, it just simply wasn't true and didn't help at all because it made me feel like there was something broken about us. And it was a gift in becoming a marriage counselor is to actually realize, wait a minute, like this is just a normal part of human experience to be in these questions and these struggles and this this process of sorting out how to love and how to respect yourself in the process. When I think I, uh, of everyone's, you know, sort of ultimate wish, there's a lot of pressure put on marriages, right? Like, oh, it will, you know, I'll feel complete. I'll feel whole. It'll make, yeah, yeah. you know, everything better. And and so we come into it with so much pressure, uh, you know, just in our remaining time together. Yeah. Of all the things to talk about as you're trying to, like, negotiate how you care for yourself and those that you really love, especially in a marriage relationship, Um, Is there something that we haven't talked about or touched on that you feel is of great value? Mm. Well, I think it's very valuable, and and this has kind of been a a strain throughout this conversation, but I think that it's really valuable to value the process. I think when we think of it in terms of I'm, like I was thinking in the first year of marriage, we're messed up, you know, like yeah. we're not we as happy as we should that. be, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. That it's very much in this sort of judgment and kind of like, you know, that, that fixed mindset, right? Rather than, no, marriage is a valuable process, right? It's a process of learning how to love and finding yourself exposed in that process, okay, to yourself even, to your partner, 
and that the discomfort is a valuable is a valuable discomfort because it's what allows you to grow in your capacity to care for another person, grow in your capacity to know and accept yourself, to become wiser, to become kinder. Because if you'll let marriage or any important relationship teach you, right, you grow into a wiser person. You get more at peace in your own skin. I mean, I'm in my 50s now and there's a lot of... um, it's a good decade, I have to say, because <laughs> there's a certain amount of like, you know, somebody told me this joke once, like, you know, in your 30s, you're very concerned about what everyone thinks about you. And then in your 40s, you like, you you decide that you're not going to stop worrying what people think about you. And then in your 50s, you realize nobody was thinking about you anyway. <laughs> They're only thinking about I'll themselves. Time. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you kind of grow into a more of a self-acceptance, I think, through through a process of coming into something more solid and intimate, even within yourself um, and in the people that know you best. And it's a very valuable reward of the struggles that we find ourselves in, in important relationships. It doesn't mean that they'll all work out. And if they're not working out, you're doing something wrong. I want to be clear about that because some relationships, the most self-respecting thing to do is to leave it, right? Because it isn't a relationship that is going to care for you properly. Um, It's not going to look after your well-being sufficiently. Um, I don't mean that you just love and then your kids all do what you think is best and right for them, right? Agency is fundamental to all of our lives. But we can grow into wiser beings. We can grow into more clarity about what we're responsible for and what we're not. We can grow into more wisdom about who God is and who we are in that relationship. Valuing the way that loving and caring for others and doing it deeply and perfectly is still a very valuable process. So particularly Mm -hmm. in relationships, in marriages or partnerships, Sometimes there's a giver and sometimes there's a taker traditionally. I'd like to start out with those who are maybe always compromising, not really sure what is a need and what is just something that you want in a relationship. Yeah, well, of course, it isn't always women who are the givers. It can go sure. the other way. But I second to, to suppress really aspects of your own development and that will make you not a threat to a man or you'll be able to fulfill a need for a man. So a lot of people enter into partnership with that message in their hearts, even if they haven't fully articulated it to themselves that way. And so they learn that a way to be in partnership is to be needed in a sense, right? Like to fulfill or to support and to compromise aspects of themselves. And in the long-term relationship, this seldom goes well because if you sacrifice your own development, your own well-being, well, then the marriage really can't thrive. So it's a miss, it's an ideal that we often learn, but it actually doesn't work to have a thriving, happy relationship and to do that excessively. 
So where do you start when you're talking to someone, male or female, who you can tell, yes, of course you have to give. It's give and take in a relationship, but they are clearly in, in an unhealthy way, not taking care of themselves. How do you back that up and say, hey, these are you, how you identify? How do you back up and say, this is how you identify your needs, first of all, and then next, this is how you communicate them to your partner? Mm-hmm. Well, I... I'll explain maybe if it's helpful. I don't tend to talk in terms of needs. The reason why sometimes I resist the framing of needs, but I understand perfectly what you're saying is because sometimes people use it to entitle. Like I have needs or you have to fulfill my needs or you're supposed to serve my needs. So sometimes it's just that we use that language in a way to get more into the framing of being owed things or feeling like somebody should be taking care of us as opposed to the question that I know you're driving at, which is, what do I need and what do I need to stand up for and what do I need to make room for to thrive in my life? What is it that I need to pay more attention to in order for me to be whole? The, The thing that I talk to women a lot about is why we're doing the things that we do or or in partnerships, right? Because a lot of times we have covert agendas in our giving that we haven't even admitted to ourselves. I'm going to sacrifice all this, but then I'll be appreciated. Then I'll be valued. Then I'll never be left, you know? And so sometimes when our covert agendas don't get fulfilled, we feel resentful. Like it doesn't accrue to us feeling loved or feeling good about ourselves. And so a really important signal for women to look out for in themselves, I keep saying women, but I mean anybody in a partnership, is resentment. Because resentment is often what you feel when when you have made decisions, but you have expectations attached to those decisions that other people should fulfill. And when it's not happening, there's often a covert anger and understanding what's that's, what's going on there is very, very important. Like, what am I angry about? What was I expecting, right? Um, but it's often what we're trying to do, and it's a very human thing, and men and women do it um, sometimes in different ways, but we're looking for a sense of self in our partner. We're looking for them to make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel desirable, make us feel loved. And so sometimes we're trying to do things against our own well-being to earn that love or to get that approval. And that's, that's usually the issue. I tend to think of it that way more in terms of I have needs. Now, I don't mean that human beings have no needs, but instead, like, can I live with what I'm actually choosing or is what I'm choosing working against my well-being, my peace with myself, my sense that that this relationship is fair and good and good for me. So, so the resentment can be, or the anger can be a really important signal. Sometimes we're taught that we shouldn't feel those feelings and so we don't pay attention to them rather than recognizing something's not working for me and something doesn't feel right or fair. And sometimes it's about not communicating well and sometimes it's about a partner like living in an assumption that, you know, for a lot of men, they don't actually think, oh, I'm supposed to sacrifice for my partner's career aspirations or for my partner's um, ambitions and goals. And so it's not even in their mindset, right? Because they grew up thinking they would be supported, not necessarily that they would support. 
And it doesn't make them a bad person. It's just that they're operating in a meaning frame. If the spouse keeps going along with it, then their well-being starts to suffer. Like So for just to give another example, a lot of times in sexual relationships, what I tend to work with couples a lot around is people grow up in the idea that, well, women's sexuality kind of exists for men's well-being, for men's sexual well-being. Men have all the sexual desire and women, they have a little bit, but mostly they're there to help their husbands around this. And so they enter into the sexual relationship, not from a frame of, we both are individuals and our respective desires and feelings matter. And so how do we create a sexual partnership? How do we create something where we both are happy, that it's something that we both feel good about? And so when that is not the meaning frame that's entered in, then a lot of times the woman is like trying to be the right kind of partner or manage or accommodate. And the husband doesn't even know that he's a taker because he's operating in that frame, but she starts to not want it because she's fulfilling his needs and feels like she doesn't get to belong to herself and her own life and her own feelings. So her desire starts to go down and then he starts feeling like, why don't you love me? And why don't you want to be here? And then his desire goes up because he's looking to her to feel good about himself that I am desired by you. And so then these resentments start to happen in both partners because they're looking to the other person to manage a feeling about themselves, but they're also participating in a partnership in which it's not about two people thriving, but one serving the other. So, I mean, you've explained it so clearly. It makes sense about how this can happen so often, you know, especially in such an intimate relationship. So how do you break through and break that kind of pattern so that both partners are, and again, sorry to use the word needs, but like have their needs mm-hmm. met while, mm-hmm. you know, with that, with that kind of like self-nurturing while also being a really good partner, which I think most people want to be. Yeah. I have a podcast that I call Room for Two, and it's where I'm working with couples. And the the reason why I called it that is, well, the double entendre, but that is that when couples are happy, they really are making room for two people to thrive in their respective ways. Whatever domains they're in, whatever it is that the work that their life work that they're doing, that it's supported and cared for. And so there is this really in an, in a, the happiest marriages, there is this balance that couples work out over time. How do we belong to our individual ambitions and goals and dreams and beliefs and thoughts, right? Because we all want to belong to a partnership, but we also want to belong to our own selves, like our own goals, our own development. And so the happiest marriages support both things, like that we belong to each other, but we belong to our respective goals and dreams. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.